Hey there, it's Neologram, your host of PABJ's Here's What Happened podcast. Every Sunday, we are taking you through four important news stories from the week and discussing a story about the ever-changing landscape of journalism. We know it's hard to keep up with what is happening in the world, whether it is politics, world affairs, or natural disasters. So sit back, relax, because here's what happened. Well, we made it to episode two. My name is Niella Graham, and I am the host of Here's What Happened. I'm also the vice president of print for the Plattsburgh Association of Black Journalists. We are back again with a whole new batch of stories for you, and they are good. Today I'm joined by PABJ editor Gerald Braddock Jr. Thanking, thank you for being a part of the second episode, Gerald. You're welcome. Happy to be here. You excited to get into what happened this week? Absolutely. All right, well, let's get started. Our first story involves the former Trump campaign and the ongoing investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller into the possible role that Russia played in the 2016 campaign for president of the United States. It was uh, revealed Monday that Paul Manafort, the former campaign chairman for the Trump campaign, was charged uh, 12 times for money, including money laundering and conspiracy. He turned himself into the FBI, FBI Monday morning. The alleged scheme involves using offshore accounts to hide tens of millions of dollars in payments he re- received for representing a pro-Kremlin political faction in the Ukraine. Manafort also was charged with filing false reports to conceal the fact that he was acting as an unregistered foreign agent. His business partner, Rick Gates, was also charged. It was found they were using offshore accounts in Cyprus to hide $75 million in payments for the lobbying work that they did. They would then wire that money into the United States, and Manafort was using it to live quite a lavish life here in the United States. And in addition, they were not the only ones charged. George Papadouvelis, who was the former foreign policy advisor to the campaign was also charged with one count of lying to the FBI. He pled guilty. According to BuzzFeed News, according to court papers, Papadopoulos lied to FBI agents at a January 27th meeting when asked about ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. Papadopoulos allegedly told the FBI that he was in touch with an unnamed professor overseas who had connections to Russian government officials before he advised Trump. That was not the case. They had communicated while he was working for the campaign. He acknowledged, quote, that the professor had told him about Russians possessing dirt on then-candidate Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. I think we've all seen the large amount of coverage that this investigation has gotten since Trump became our president in January of 2017. It's very interesting now to see the first charges being rolled out. I can predict that I don't think they will be the first and only charges. Um, there are other people who are part of this campaign. There's Jared Kushner. There's Michael Flynn. There's a lot of other figures involved, his sons, that have been caught in lying. And it'll be interesting to see what else happens with this. I think that's pretty overwhelming due to the fact that we have a lot of the media pointing out that even just from the beginning of the campaign for Donald Trump, that he had a lot of ties with Russia and how that could be 
excruciatingly terrible for our country and what that could do to us and what we are and how we are represented as and the people who represent us on a high authority show a lot of un-American ideals by not being loyal and faithful to the American way of how we set ourselves to live. Going off of what you mentioned about Papa Papadopoulos, there was a video by uh, Mike that showed a video, a, a picture of him in the same meeting as Donald Trump as well, showing that the the two were uh, basically in the same presence of each other, and I believe a there was dialogue about the Donald Trump and Donald Trump and that Papadopoulos were exchanging dialogue in regards to Russia and ties as well. And to even further back that up, Donald Trump was also able to clarify in a in a conference that he was having Papa Papadopoulos be a part of his team while he was coming up during the presidency as well. So it just shows that the amount of danger that Papadopoulos put himself in by trying to basically be affiliated affiliated with someone by the likes of Donald Trump and how that could be detrimental to his life right now as we're seeing it's not going to be very pleasant for him and you know best of luck to him but it's nothing much to say I feel like everything's coming down on the Republican Party right now but even the Democratic Party doesn't even have much to to challenge because of the fact that we're we're looking at a White House that is Republican dominated right now with Democrats basically dominating in only four states. So one can only hope that change is uh, gonna come, but it's gonna be a long time coming for the most part. And we we can only hope that with the amount of trust that we put in our leader of the of the free nation, we would hope to expect some type of um, results that would be in favor of the people more so than the people of of higher power. So yes, I agree with that totally. I think we look to the president to be a true leader, to not back down from things. And Trump doesn't back down. He tweets. He tweeted. Monday morning, sorry, but this is years ago, before Paul Manafort was a part of the Trump campaign. But why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Hmm. Another tweet followed up with that, dot, dot, dot. Also, there is no collusion. So as we see, he has frequently denied that there was any collusion. And it'll be interesting to see if that is, in fact, the truth in all of this my opinion on this would be that if there isn't collusion then why was a special counsel assigned to this case Hmm. former fbi like leader of the fbi he had um comey's job um i mean this guy is well respected uh, and i think he's doing a, a really hard an important job in telling us what really happened this past election season because you can't say that it was like past election mm-hmm. seasons. Not at all. And, you know, as it's going to sound uh, pretty, pretty, uh, un, 
I would say it was, it's not going to sound very uh, pleasant to say, but he's very smart in his strategy to basically deny, deny, deny. So when he says things like, you know, trying to throw in the Democratic Party, mentioning Hillary Clinton's name, and then, you know, you have the unfortunate events of uh, Hillary Clinton being exposed for basically toying with the election and making it that Bernie Sanders couldn't be our elected candidate. You know, it's just just small things like that from what Donald Trump does. It's like, it's almost like he's setting up a, he, he's setting up a, a play to to happen. And the next thing you know, we're met with a different type of distraction. And with that, we take our eyes off of something as crucial as the people in, in office who are, who are representatives of him and lie and have a, who have a, illegal ties, basically. So it's, it's, almost, it's almost unfortunate that not only are we facing these kind of issues, but, you know, media will both, media will take account of his words and actions, especially with his infamous Twitter account and directing us in a different a different light, a light that we don't even need to have shine on. So I have nothing much to say at this point. I just I just hope for news to deliver as much information as they can on the two and we see where our president takes us at this point. Yeah. And to close off this new story, I will deliver the words of one of my journalism professors. When I asked him about the state of journalism today, he said, always remember that some people and most people trust journalists more than they will trust other people. Hmm. So we take that into account as we give these stories and we inform citizens of what's actually going on with their government. And another story that hit us uh, on October 31st, 2017, a person drove a rented pickup truck into cyclists and runners for about one mile of the Hudson Rivers Park bike path alongside the West Street of Houston Street, south to Chambers Street in Lower Manhattan, New York City. The vehicle not only rammed into over 20 people, it killed eight and injured 12. The truck crashed into a school bus afterwards, and the driver, whose name is Saifulo Saipov, apparently wielded two guns, a paintball and a pellet gun, and was pointing the weapon at civilians who were nearby. He was shot by a policeman and was arrested, and he was taken to custody and for questioning. Now, personally, I am from the Bronx, New York, and it seems very... Uh, it, it hits home because, you know, I'm up here in school and it's like my my father does security for Nike and that eventually could have been him. It could have been anybody. Uh, Niala, I understand that, you know, you have family that lives down there, correct? Yeah, um, I've grown up in Battery Park City. My, basically for all, as long as I can remember, and this is now the second terrorist attack that's taken place in that, general area of Manhattan. I went to school at PS89, which was right across the street from where this happened. I went to middle school at IS89. My mom bikes on that bike path. So this also hit home for me. I kind of found myself in a little bit of a panic. 
on Tuesday. I'm wondering, you know, was my mom out when this happened? And she wasn't. She's completely fine. But it's really interesting to me because New York is constantly being labeled as a prime target for terrorists. It's a busy metropolitan city. It's one of the biggest cities, if not the biggest, in the United States. And we're constantly being threatened. And we're strong. We're a very strong city. And you can see that in the the faces of New Yorkers. I mean, I remember the incident that happened in Chelsea last year. New Yorkers were like, oh, I was just eating dinner and it didn't really phase me. You know, they don't let fear take over their lives. And you're seeing that in the reaction to this, this story and this attack. People really rushed and let their senses kick in and tell them what they needed to do. There's a story in the New York Times about my elementary school principal who just acted really fast, got kids into the building, and made sure everyone was safe. And I think time and time again, we're seeing New Yorkers are strong. They don't let these things affect them. Um, He'd been planning this attack for months. He chose Halloween because it's a busy time of the year. It's a holiday. People are going to be out. This could have been a lot worse. And, you know, really... A shout-out to the NYPD for acting as they did and making sure people were safe. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's interesting to reflect on this story being up here in Plattsburgh. To add on a little bit to what you're saying, uh, the funny thing is uh, our president is a fellow New Yorker, and it's interesting how he has a perspective on the terrorist attack, being that he has portrayed a certain bias through his Twitter account and through media about terrorism and what he proclaims, what most people say as radical uh, Islamic terrorism versus the fact that ISIS should not be conflated with such a, a heavily respected religion especially because the fact that ISIS claimed responsibility for this attack recently on CNN, it kind of makes it harder for people to not be projected with fear. It's been all over the place in the world, ISIS especially being very heavily involved in the European cities and attacking places that are heavily populated, just like New York as well. And I think it says a lot when you have places like New York and Berlin and places that have been under attack that we are very cognizant of the things that are detrimental and how we prepare. I don't think this is something that people should have to prepare for, but you know, in this world that we live in right now, it seems very, it seems very uh, cautious that we have to be on our feet 24 seven, but that's pretty much every New Yorker in my opinion whether you lived here for a week or you lived here for 20 years, you know, it's like you got to understand that, you know, there's there's many good things to come, but, you know, danger is always imminent and being being ready to not be under attack is very crucial. To give a little more detail, though, about Saiful Saipov, he is originally from Tashkent, Uzbekistan. He immigrated to Florida on March 2010 and moved up to New Jersey with his family, his wife and three kids. He was a former Uber driver and the Uber company actually banned him. Uber released a statement saying that they were uh, extremely 
apologetic about the incident and that in no way, shape, or form that they would ever condone his uh, his actions whatsoever. And right now we have Donald Trump announcing for him to be uh, serving the death penalty, or at least that's what he wants. I don't think New York can even grant the death penalty to begin with. And he wants to put him in Guantanamo Bay, which I think is um, a drag. And I think that it kind of sets a tone for people to be, to be very uh, non-lenient with people of this type of behavior. So we, you know, this is much more details to go from this point. But you know, terrorism is not something that is, should be accepted in any way, shape, or form. And I hope that people don't conflate. Uh, the the heavily respected religion with the likes of ISIS because the two are not one and the same. Yeah, and just to make one last point, speaking on the neighborhood, um, it's really grown since 9-11. Uh, obviously, the Freedom Tower has gone up. We have two high-end shopping malls now. I mean, it's really, really flourished since 9-11 in a weird way. And I think that says more about the culture of New York City in the face of fear and in the face of extremism. Uh, we're strong and we get through things and we will get through this. With stories growing about producers, actors, and directors being involved in sexual misconduct, the list is expanding to bigger names in Hollywood. This week, it was revealed that House of Cards star and Oscar winner Kevin Spacey has been accused by Anthony Rapp, the star of the upcoming film Star Trek Discovery, of advances when Rapp was 14 and Spacey was 28. Now, Rapp revealed these um, allegations against Spacey in an interview with BuzzFeed News. And essentially the story goes is that Rap was performing on Broadway at the same time Spacey was. They befriended each other, and Spacey invited Rap over to his apartment for a party. And at the end of the night, Spacey picked Rap up, placed him on his bed, and climbed on top of him, making a sexual advance. Now, of course, this news was very startling to some, as Kevin Spacey is a highly respected actor in Hollywood. And after these, this story broke, Kevin Spacey made a statement apologizing to rap and then came out as gay, which some saw as a cover-up or excuse for his behavior, which has insulted much of the LGBT community. Now, of course, fallout from this, only hours after, Netflix announced that House of Cards season six would be the last season of the show. Now, I wasn't sure at the time whether or not this was because of the allegations against Spacey or just because they felt the show had run its course. Well, it's now being revealed that Netflix wants nothing to do with Kevin Spacey and that they have pulled a other another project that he was going to be doing with the network now. And Spacey is currently seeing, seeking treatment because of these allegations, as they continue to come out, more people have spoken up. There have been statements made about Spacey's time as artistic director of the Old Vic Theater in London, where he supposedly uh, participated in sexual misconduct with other individuals. Individuals who work on House of Cards have also come forward with a production assistant claiming that while traveling to set with Spacey, he stuck his hand down his pants. Spacey has also been dropped 
by both his publicist and his agent, so it has not been a very good week to be Kevin Spacey. Now, obviously, allegations continue to mount against several figures in Hollywood. This has kind of become a who's who's it going to be next, and it's kind of sad to see bigger names in this because I feel as though a lot of Americans really look up to actors and notable people in Hollywood. So it's sort of becoming a fear of who's going to be exposed next. And I can say as a fan of House of Cards and Spacey in general, this was really sad to see. Uh, Netflix really kicked off when they were able to even have House of Cards in 2013 because it was their first actual series. And looking at the progression of such a a very intriguing, quizzical show such as House of Cards that kind of portrays American politics on global issues as well. It's, it's hard, like you said, to shake the fact that someone who is portraying a leader of the free world is, some, is, is enacting on behavior that is unacceptable in any way, shape, and form. The Going back to what you said about the, the planning of the show being canceled, uh, Fox News actually uh, released an article saying that the decision to conclude House of Cards was made several months ago, according to a person with knowledge of the situation who spoke on condition of uh, anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the decision. So it's pretty evident that this was already highlighted to a certain group of people about Kevin Spacey's actions. And, you know, unfortunately... We can't see the, you know, I can't see myself watching the show without trying to put a bias aside about the fact that he's done something outside of his work. But at the same time, this is something that he's been doing as far as including his his uh, his pederastic behavior into the, the work of film industry. So you have more stars coming out with a lot of sexual harassment claims now, being that there is a very strong, uh, I I would say, cultural movement to speak up. And I believe that's very important because uh, there's a pattern of abuse in the film and entertainment industry that has been very uh, ostracized. And when you have people coming out and saying that there's somebody who is endangering not maybe one person but many more it's very uh, important that we are able to put those voices on a on a much larger larger platform even so you know prayers for the people who have suffered for the uh through some type of abuse and knowing that it can it can trigger some forms of PTSD but also uh you know Best of luck to Kevin Spacey and that he can find his his way back to um, some form of reality where he is very more cognizant of his behavior and how it's endangering people because it doesn't seem to me that he is very aware of what he has done to people and what he's done to not even just adults but, you know, people who are young. Whether he did it indirectly or not, he's affecting people with presenting his himself in a different limelight that we do not hope to see him as, but 
reality kicks in very heavily right now. Well, it's interesting you say that because BuzzFeed News is reporting more people coming out against Spacey um, over like two decades now. And a really interesting story that struck me was, this is from BuzzFeed News, in the early 2000s, a journalist then in his early 20s interviewed Kevin Spacey in London for his magazine. Now, this journalist has stayed anonymous to avoid risking his career. But he said that the interview took place in Spacey's office at the Old Vic Theater at at the time. He said the interview went fine. They were laughing. He was doing impressions of other actors. And then Spacey invited him to go out with some friends for some drinks. And that's when he said Spacey began aggressively groping him once they'd arrived to the club. He kept grabbing at him. He tried to leave. Spacey convinced him to stay. And this journalist has reflected on the experience and had a really interesting anecdote about why he thinks there's a lot of stories coming out. He said, quote, It's occurred to me since then that there's this weird way that Spacey had discovered that the closet would shield other things, the journalist said. Being closeted has for him enabled him to use this privacy claim as a shield against anybody looking closely at his actual behavior. And then it may have served at this as this strange protective mechanical mechanism to say my whole sexual life is off limits because of my sexuality and that privacy he's referring to is the fact that Kevin Spacey didn't live in the United States he lived in London which many have inferred was a way to get away from the glitz and the glam of life in the United States where there are paparazzi Mm. at every corner looking at what you do analyzing your movements and it's a fair point to bring up this quote of him weaponizing the closet and the effect that has on the LGBT community with this, this view that some have of LGBT individuals as predators, as pedophiles. And that's not true. And this story is really damning for that community because Kevin Spacey's actions are reflecting badly on that community. Um, it's interesting that you said that because uh, there has been a, from what I've been able to research, there's been a real practice of pederasty and the history of uh, entertainment. And for those who don't know, pederasty is the practice of uh, of homosexuality between a adult male and a young and a young boy. And seeing that Kevin Spacey is exhibiting those behavior or as it was portrayed by Anthony Bragg, it unfortunately doesn't come to much as a a surprise, but it's also very, like you said, it's very damaging to those who don't exhibit that form of behavior at all. And going back to Ken Spacey's uh, claims, you have Mexican actor Roberto Cavazos, who acted in several plays at the the theater in, in London the old Vic, and he has come forward and said that Sp- uh, Spacey uh, routinely routinely preyed on young male actors. So, having that said, it seems as though there was, like you, like we stated earlier, a pattern of this form of behavior, and that there is some form of uh, there, there's just a trigger that that nobody is really recognizing, but we're coming to that point where we're able to be more cognizant of the things that do not um, 
better the people and the people who have a mindset that they want to come in and do the one thing that they hope to do in entertainment, and that is to just be a great entertainer. So we have a story coming out reflecting on the college life and University of Hartford in, in Connecticut that surfaces between two roommates who are no longer in the same proximity of each other due to a, I would say, a racial attack on one. 18-year-old Brianna Brochu is a freshman who roomed with another young woman named Jazzy Rowe. Brianna Brochu is a white young woman and Jazzy Rowe is a young African-American woman. Brianna Brochu was very unwelcoming to the fact that she had a African-American roommate and being aware of who she was rooming with coming into the semester, she went through the process of making sure that she can remove her from the same space. So Brianna Brochu took into her own uh, actions to rub used tampons on her bags, spit in her food whenever she could when she wasn't in the room, she put mold in her creams and her lotions and her coconut oils, and it says a lot to the fact that she would have such a a very strong hate towards a, a roommate that is not the same background as her. Roe experienced uh, throat pain within the next few weeks when she went to the doctor and found that there was bacteria in the back of her throat. And due, due to the fact that there was a sense of uncomfortability with the two, Roe took the to advance to move to move out of the room. One of Rose's friends had made her alarmed of the fact that on social media, her roommate Brochu put out a post on Twitter. And the post reads, finally did it, your girl got rid of her roommate. After one and a half months of spitting in her coconut oil, putting moldy clam dip in her lotions, rubbing used tampons on her backpack, putting toothbrush places, her putting her toothbrush places where the sun doesn't shine, and so much more, I can finally say goodbye, Jamaican Barbie. The statement was not only something that Jazzy Rowe felt offended by, but she brought it to the attention of the, the, of the campus and the campus president, of course. Brochu not only does not uh, attend at the University of Hartford anymore, she was faced with uh, two, two charges, uh, second degree breach of peace and third degree criminal mischief, and each serve a maximum of six months uh, in prison. Now, being that I'm a student here at Plattsburgh, which is more so a, a predominantly white school, but is facing some cultural changes and a lot of uh, tangibles such as the increase in, in people of color who are attending, a lot of uh, individuals who reflect my identity as an African-American or black face a lot of different uh, trials and tribulations when it comes to being in not only just a new setting, but in a new, in a new place with different people. And I feel like as though it speaks volumes to the fact that there has been racial tensions that have uh, been portrayed even since the 60s to now at, at any college or schools, universities, whatever you name it. And 
it says a lot that you have still this this huge dislike and hate towards somebody. And worst of all, it didn't seem like Brianna Brochu didn't take the advance to get to know her roommate. And not only did it, you know, backfire on her heavily, but it it definitely does speak a lot on what is potentially still going on all around the country and different schools and what kind of what kind of uh, events that many black people have to be cautious for. Niala, what's your uh, take on this? Well, I think at the end of the day, this just speaks to roommates and adjusting to college. Um, I believe both these girls were freshmen, right? Yes. So this is not how you want your first semester of college to go. I think I can speak for myself when I say I heard a lot of horror stories going into college about what your roommate could be like, what your roommate shouldn't be like, and... This is the ultimate college roommate horror story, and it's racially motivated. You can see that. The use of the name Jamaican Barbie says so much. Um, It's really sad, and from my understanding, University of Hartford is not a very diverse school, so um, this girl might have been upset that, you know, she was paired with someone who's black and paired with someone who is white. There's, I think there's a lot that we don't know about motivation. There's probably more details to come out of this. Um, but I think it definitely has raised awareness to how maybe young people nowadays interact with each other on a racial difference. And, you know, it's funny because in our last segment we were talking about uh, – you know, Netflix series. Netflix actually has a series called They're White People. Yes. And it talks about and it portrays the perspective of African-American students having to attend a school that is not dominated by their background and also not just a dominant of uh, identity, but a dominance of perhaps ideologies as well. And you would say most people who come from the same background may, uh, for the most part, share a similar type of uh, maybe ideals or the same type of uh, cultures. And, you know, with something like like University of Hartford, like you said, is a more predominantly white school, you might have people who attend the school and a majority of them come from not only just the same identity and background, but they come from the same probably sense of understanding. And with that, I'm saying that you have people who come with a, a preconceived notions, most likely of African American individuals, such as what was shown from Brochu's idea of of Jazzy Rowe being this Jamaican Barbie, which is, you know, absurd. But you know, I feel like there's always going to be there's always going to be a prejudice, and with prejudice, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't uh, help racism at all. And with college students coming into the fact that they're going to be perhaps going to not only just away from their homes, away from their families, their friends and loved ones, and having to grow in their own as an individual, it doesn't help when you have people outside from where you're, natu- from, where you're from and where you naturally feel safe and welcoming that you can't feel that same comfort in 
a new home that you're trying to help make. And, you know, <laughs> nobody wants to room with somebody that you have to live with for uh, perhaps over eight months, nine months, and just to experience some type of hate within the first few weeks. Hate is nothing to be tolerated by anybody. And, you know, hopefully this woman, this young lady, uh, Brianna Brochu, and her time that she serves comes out with a, a different mindset because this is not the time where we were in, you know, the 1800s where it was tolerated. We're in a new, different time frame, a new era, a new culture and generation where that is not going to be welcomed whatsoever. And, you know, I would say, you know, thank you to Jazzy Rowe for speaking out on something like that because she could have kept it in and she spoke out and she saw justice. Who has time for civic engagement? That's the first line in a story by the Huffington Post about the shuttering of Gothamist and DNA Info's website. Now, of course, we promise at the end of this podcast that we'll talk about the state of journalism itself. And this story is very important in the state of journalism today. So the story is, is that the reporters and editors in the combined newsroom of DNA Info and Gothamist, two of New York City's leading digital purveyors of local news, voted to join a union. And then a couple days after they decided to do this, they lost their jobs, as Joe Ricketts, the billionaire founder of TD Ameritrade, who owns the sites, shut them down. Now, it's not really clear whether he shut them down because they were losing money or because they voted to join a union. But if we know anything from history, I'm going to infer it might be because they tried to join a union. Now, the really important thing about this story was the role that DNA Info and Gothamist play in local news. And this isn't a conversation that's had much, but it needs to be, because local news is more important than ever in the political state we live in now and the digital state we live in now. It's important to have people watching what's going on in communities, small and medium-sized. New York City has a big, you know, it's a large city. There are larger known publications like New York Post and Daily News and New York Times, but you do have these smaller publications. Some of them include The Village Voice. Um, we have a couple in my neighborhood, um, broadsheet, Downtown Express, stuff like that, that keep you up to date what's going on with your um, representatives, your community advocates, your council members. You need to know what's going on in local government because local government is just at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to government. We need to have people watching because if no one's watching, things get done that the community doesn't want. And with the loss of DNA Info and Gothamist, who are going to be the watchdogs that make sure our representatives are doing the things we voted them for. Um, you know, this is an ongoing conversation. Local, journal local journalism is important, but it's hard to financially maintain. Um, and this Huffington Post article states that New York has a street-level reporting crisis at the moment. Major print publications like the New York Daily News and the New York Times have made steep cuts to their local newsrooms and lost a good majority of their local coverage. Gothamist and DNA Info were among the few remaining outlets that gave locals a community, helped shape the 
discussion on convoluted systems, and provided a soapbox to bloggers who broke news in their neighborhoods. I learned of a story that was going on in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. A woman had bought a space and turned it into a restaurant, and it had bullet holes in the um, in the walls. She kept it and made it sort of high-trend fashionable, and it really upset the community. I would have never learned about that story if it wasn't for a site like Gothamist. So it's going to be hard to say how New York City will continue to, to publish local news without these smaller sites really watching it. Yeah, uh, to kind of add on to what you're talking about, uh, Joe... Uh, Ricketts, if I pronounce his name correctly, yes. uh, is the chief uh, executive. Well, was the chief chief executive officer and the founder, I'm assuming, of DNA Info and Gothamist, and BBC News. Oh, excuse me, NPR released uh, a letter from his uh, statement to his readers and the email, and in it he says, "DNA Info is at the end of the day a business, a business." And business need to be economically successful if they are to endure. And while we may made important progress toward building DNA info into a successful business, in the end, that progress hasn't been sufficient to support the tremendous effort and expense needed to produce the type of journalism on which the company was founded. And, you know, I kind of think when you make it uh, about so much as the business and not so much as what kind of uh, cultural effect you could have on people and the kind of audience that you have, and you just basically shut it down. It kind of speaks volumes. Not only that, but the shutdown leaves 115 people out of work, which is what the New York Times had reported. The site's employees in Chicago, Washington, L.A., and San Francisco all lost jobs as well due to the fact that 25 out of 27 tried to unionize against uh, Joe Ricketts as well, which, of course, led to the inevitable uh, demise of the two uh, organizations and that the fact that there was a lack of respect for the workers and not and not so much as for the, uh, the people who tried to produce fake news, as we call it now. And Joe Ricketts, owes his workers for the fact that they are also not only dedicated to the type of mission statement to, to to enforce into the public that they want to, you know, give the news for not only in its truth, but for the audience's uh, perspectives to gain a new, different uh, point of view that is not one that has been given by a lot of national news and, you know, hyper-local as well. They deserve the truth. We all deserve the truth. And with DNA info and Gotham's out of play, especially being in one of the catalysts of news media in New York City, it does speak a lot when you, you know, lose something that's very, very uh, pivotal in the realm of where media is very more high and prominent right now. One of the workers actually released a, a statement saying that, this is an act of direct retaliation for our successful union effort. I have no regrets. We did the right thing and stood tall, and I'm proud. And I think that it's not even fair at all to the fact that people who have put their tears, blood, and sweat into this type of uh, 
into this type of uh, work, especially with people who actually die to gain the truth in many different places across the world that, you know, is we chose, we chose a economic gain over a substantial growth as a, as a people in society. And I'll leave this story with this last comment. This comes from the Huffington Post article, and I think it speaks volumes about local news and its importance. They delivered the news that mattered to local people. What's happening on the block? Who's trying to screw over residents for personal gain? Where should kids go to school? Where can one find the best, not the only, the best BLT in the city? Hmm. So that's all for Here's What Happened. I want to thank Gerald for joining us today. I hope you had fun. I did, and I thank you for having me here. We'll be back next week with another member of the board. As always, you can follow PABJ on Twitter and Instagram at PlattsburghABJ, and we will see you next week.